Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds the hands in the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, Don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For forty years I was angry with them, and I said, They are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Thank you, Marianne. That's on. It's good to go. So how many of you spent lots of time watching the Olympics this past couple, three weeks here? See, like, that's amazing, eh? Like the first service, only a couple of people put their hands up as well. I was quite surprised. I didn't watch much of it either. But Karen, with her mom, they sit and they watch it. They love the Olympics, the figure skating and all that stuff. But... uh, we sent a men's hockey team over there who were not the best that Canada has because the best weren't allowed to go. They were told to stay back and play in their uh, NHL. And then so they sent uh, a bunch of guys that were probably pretty excited to be asked to go play. But we had a women's hockey team over there that uh, is a very good hockey team. And it's a very interesting to see the difference in the style and the way they play. The women's hockey just seems smoother. It seems more calculated. They seem to have more control on the puck. And uh, it just was good. And then there was uh, the gold final in the overtime between Canada and the United States. Those two is quite a rivalry going back and forth. You could see that Canada, or the United States, had a little bit of an upper hand on on the States. And we were down there about halfway through the third. We decided, oh, we're going to go to bed. The score was tied. And then we're laying in bed, and we're sort of laying there talking. Karen says, you want to get up and go watch the Olympics? <laughs> it's about a half an hour later, and so I said, yeah, let's get up. So we got up and went downstairs and sat there at the beginning of the, the th- uh, fourth period, like the overtime, and uh, it's always exciting in overtime. And, uh, uh, but, you know, like when you think of these games like this, and you have, say you've got a minute left in the overtime period, and, you know, who do you want to have on, in a game like that? I remember the Oilers. They're like, who do you want to have out there in the last period? Mark Messier, like back in the day, it shows my time. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's a while now. But you want your best players out there, the ones that have, are seasoned and they're not going to panic when they get the puck and they're going to think about what they're doing and they're going to at least get a good chance. They're not going to think that they've got to do it right now, but they've got a minute to do it and they're going to take the minute if they need to. And uh, it's the same thing like you think about a World Series baseball game at the last bats and the, and the batter's up there and he's got a chance to hit in a run and it's going to win the World Series. You know, you want your best batter up there, somebody who's going to be cool and calm and collective. 
And uh, he's not going to freak out when the ball's coming across. He's nervous to think in the millions of people. All these thoughts I could imagine go through the mind. I'm going to be a hero or I can be a hero. Am I going to be a hero or am I going to be a, a flop? And uh, am I going to disappoint everybody or am I going to be a, this big hero? We want the, the best person out there who's going to be the calmest. And you think about uh, ourselves going through a surgery, a life-threatening surgery or a loved one that's going through a surgery. You know, who would you want to have on the end of that scalpel? You'd want to have the best surgeon on the end of that scalpel. And uh, we see that that's how the gospel presents Jesus as he faces the cross, just like that, cool, calm. He's under extreme pressure. He's under pressure that we'll never even fathom. And he actually is under so much pressure that he's sweating drops of blood. And yet, at every stage, Jesus is calm, he's at peace, and he's resting in his soul. But Jesus also leaves every sports star, surgeon, far behind, in that uh, just as he is in control of himself, he's in control of the events themselves. It's not just that he's able to handle his own adrenaline, he's in, uh, he is able to dictate the results. It's not just that he's able to act wisely under pressure, he is able to determine the outcome. Jesus isn't just able to respond skillfully to what he finds, he already knows what he will find. And as he ha- and has already mapped out the solution to the deepest human problem of all, Jesus stands out because he is in control of the entire sweep of human history, even as he goes through his death. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you sent your son. Jesus, that you came and you, uh, just under that incredible pressure, you knew exactly what you had to do. You knew exactly what the will of the Father was. And under that extreme pressure, in your cry of, Father, if there be any other way, but not my will, your will be done. I pray that that would be all of our hearts, Father God. In every situation we find ourselves in in life, Father, may we be found saying, Lord, regardless of the pressure, as we're walking in your will, may we pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We thank you, Father, for the example that you set for us in Christ. In your name, Jesus, amen. Because Pastor Paul sort of mentioned it in this baby dedication, um, our country is going through some pretty aggressive changes. And these changes are being talked about all around the world. There's somebody that's ministering in uh, South America, and they've been ministering for 30, the past 30 years, and they're turning it over to somebody else, and they were talking to somebody from our church here, and they asked, is, it, is, is it all those changes that are happening in Canada, is that all true? And, you know, like they said, and they talked about it, and they said, yeah, it's true. That's what's going on in Canada. And... Uh, in a time when all of these changes are coming upon us and as a church, when you're, when, as the church, you know the truth, the truth that has set you free and then you see these kinds of changes coming as far as the legalizing of marijuana, the changes in our school system, like Pastor Paul says, the government wanting to dictate how, what our kids learn for truth as if, you know, as if what's truth, uh, as if we don't know better to teach our own kids. What we teach them is not right or not good enough, but it's pretty easy for us to get a little bit uh, concerned about that, and we rightfully, we should get concerned about that. But at the same time, 
you know, we need to recognize who Jesus is and what he's done and where he's at. The disciples were, had put all of their eggs in one basket. They put all of their hope in who Jesus was. He was the son of God. He convinced them he was the son of God, walking on the water, calming the storm, raising the dead. There was no doubt in their minds that Jesus was the Messiah. The Mount of Transfiguration, hearing God speak, you know, about this is my son in whom I am well pleased. No doubt in their minds of who Jesus was. And he was telling them he was about to leave them. And this troubled them. They were confused. They didn't understand what is he talking about. And uh, as this troubling was going on and they were talking amongst themselves, Jesus encourages them with these words. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and afraid. I like the beginning of that. I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. He said that to them and he's saying it to us. I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. Are you experiencing that peace of mind and heart right now? Are you experiencing that in your walk as you walk day by day, as you go to work, as you're going through your struggles in life? Are you experiencing that peace of mind and heart? It's a gift that he says that he's given us. He's left us. So in a broken world of broken people, there are pressures that cause all of us some intense anxiety and stress. And it robs us. Sometimes it robs us of this peace of mind and heart. How do you handle these things when you have in these sleepless nights? And uh, that these things that happen and then they cause this anxiety inside your being. This morning, I want to share my experience of how I was assaulted with this uh, anxiety attacks, like, uh, what do you call it, uh, panic anxiety, anxiety attacks. Uh, and that, I pray this morning that you'll walk away from here de- determined to make every effort to enter the rest for your soul that is spoken about in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 there. There's uh, scriptures. And, this, and that you will take this peace this morning that is offered to you. If you don't know this peace, that you'll leave here with this peace of heart and mind. If you know this peace, but you're not having and experiencing this peace right now, that you'll leave here determined you're going to have that peace of heart and mind. Because I believe that it's a process. If we lose our peace, we've had our peace of heart and mind, we lose it. It's a process to get it back. And I think it's just life, and that's how life works. It, we're walking down the path of life, and we sort of, you know, things get us, like stresses, you know, Loss of loved ones and all these different things can just sort of take us and shake us and rattle us and we lose this peace. I'm going to share my experience and how I've been experiencing the victory over this area uh, just this past while here and why I believe that God has shown me personally that it's not optional that I live without this peace, that I don't keep a close watch and guard my heart um, for it is a wellspring of life, but that it's not optional for me. But... uh, Last, from August to December this year, Karen and I have been just crazy busy. Our lives, it's just amazing how that can happen to a person, but just crazy busy in pretty much every area of our lives we had things happening. And this Christmas season in December and early January, I just noticed there's something a little bit different happening inside of me, physically and emotionally. I was uh, sitting there just enjoying myself, enjoying my family, Relaxing, and all of a sudden my heart would start racing, and then I would just get this anxious feeling over me for no reason. There was nothing happening to bring this anxiousness on me. 
And this was foreign to me because this is not something that I struggle with. And so it was very easy to recognize. So I recognized that it was an anxiety attack because about three, four years ago, I was starting up the Celebrate, or I was working with the Celebrate, I was just put over the uh, recovery areas in the church, and I was, uh, we were starting up the discipleship program in the church, like developing that whole area of ministry. And then so as I was working on those things and uh, uh, getting very busy with developing those things and working with those things along with everything else that I was already doing in the church with the Stephen ministry and the uh, men's ministry and the, all these other things, uh, like I was busy and I loved it. And I, because I, it's just like my personality is just to go. Like when I was doing the concrete, literally run at different jobs and stuff. I just, I don't know, I get some kind of an adrenaline rush out of maybe I'm addicted to that or something but maybe I need to deal with that at CR (laughs) but you know as late as 1 a.m. in the morning that phone and the emails and the texts were dinging on my phone and as early as 6 a.m. in the morning that thing would start dinging and stuff and I was sending them out as well as receiving them so I'm not pointing any fingers out there they're all this way because you know the boundary thing was just not really in the picture at the time and, and, you know, loving what I was doing and stuff, I was driving my poor wife crazy. And, and she was actually, she was getting very frustrated with it. And that's, you know, it takes a lot to frustrate her most of the time. <laughs> but I knew that when I was starting to, like, I, I was beginning about January, February that year, I was beginning to experience this anxiety. And that was something, that was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, where I was just relaxing and nothing was happening. And all of a sudden, my heart would start racing. And I'm thinking, wow, am I having a heart attack? And I'm thinking how old I am. I'm thinking, I guess I'm there. (laughs) You know, so you're thinking, okay, well, what's going on and stuff? And then as time went on, I realized that it was because I was not stopping. My mind was not stopping. It was like it was going faster and faster and faster. And and I realized, okay, I thought, man, I got to get a grip on this thing. And um, so I knew that I could make this work. I could go through, like this was, say, February, March. And I knew that I could make it to the middle of July. Middle of July, we slow down about the beginning of July till about the beginning of August. Then we fire up the fall and we, we go more. Uh, so I knew I could make it that far. And, and so as I made it that far, I thought, okay, I can make it that far. And by the time June come around, I thought, okay, I, I can make it till July. But I tell you, I cannot do another year like this. And then so I took time and I, I was uh, fortunate enough to go to our FCA conference, which was, I think, in Winnipeg for a week. And then I come home and I took my holidays, which was a month. And then I took that time. And at the, you know, during this time, I was praying and trying to read and, and think about how do you know, we do this? Because I've seen these big corporations are run by people. And I think, okay, I've, I, you know, I can do this. I just got to figure out how, because this definitely isn't going to work going like I'm going. So when I went on holidays, I took time and I prayed and uh, a little bit of fasting and reading the word and some, reading some books on leadership. And uh, when I came back from holidays, I felt like, okay, I know exactly what I got to do and how I've got to do it. And it was really very amazing. It was just exactly got to be very similar to Noah when he was, had built the ark and God sent the animals to him two by two. It was like I would go out to talk to people about different areas of ministry and they were just about saying yes before I even asked them. Uh, you guys, that's you. You were just about saying yes before I asked in these areas of celebrate recovery, discipleship, mentorship, Stephen ministry, you know, trying to 
keep what we had going, going, plus developing the, the discipleship, plus, you know, building on the, the Celebrate Recovery ministry. It was a miracle because it was it just like when the fall came and, and as I was calling you people and talking to you about getting involved in these distant, different areas, you were saying yes. And it was like God was bringing you forward and we were just sort of somehow you were sliding right into your passion areas of ministry. And it's like you were getting exhilarated and I was just like, wow, I... F- honestly felt like I was just sort of standing back and watching God work. It was like, wow, you know, like this anxiety. When I go back from my holidays, I didn't feel anxious. I didn't feel this creeping up on me. And I was determined I was not going to live like that. And if this didn't work, what I felt like we needed to be done, uh, I was, I was either going to, it was either going to work or I was going to have to find something else to do. And so it worked and it, and it has worked really well. And uh, so it was interesting when this, this December come along and these anxiety attacks popped their head up again. It was like I went to the door and I looked through the people and all of a sudden it was anxiety right there. I thought, it's back. And then, you know, there's this scripture that is in Genesis chapter 4 and it says, sin is crouching at the door. It is eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. That's a great scripture that spoke to me as a young man. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Telling me I cannot allow the sin be my master. I must be its master. And it was like this with this uh, anxiety. I was, you know, like uh, January, December, January, I started to read through the book of Hebrews. As I'm reading through the book of Hebrews, I come across this verse, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, where it must be right behind this. See, I'm a rookie at this here. So let us do our best to enter that rest. If we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And so as I started to read through the book of Hebrews, I was, uh, and I seen, you know, the subtitle of the chapter was God's re- uh, Rest for God's People. And then the first 11 verses of chapter 4, it's amazing how many times the word rest is in that book. And every time it was that word, I come across the word rest, it was just like it just flew off the page at me. And then when I got to this verse, let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the children of Israel did, we will fall. The people that the writer to the book of Hebrews, is ta- he's talking to these people because they're contemplating leaving uh, leaving the, their faith in Christ and going back to the ways of the law. They didn't think that, you know, there was pressure coming on them for being a Christian, and they just figured it might be easier just to follow the law. And uh, there's more to it, a lot more to it, all of this than that. And, and I want to encourage you to take this, those uh, chapter 4 of Hebrews and read that through because it talks about a lot of different things. And the people, uh, what he, men- he mentions that these, the children of Israel have come to the promised land to, at the edge of the promised land, the people he's talking about. They, uh, uh, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. The people are right at the promised land, the precipice of going into the promised land. God has led them out of Egypt, and they're there, and the spies come back, and they, 10 out of the 12 discourage them to say, we can do it because God wants us to do it. He'll deliver the land into our hands. They refused. They turned around, and they went back. And you know the story. They went back, and they died in the wilderness. And as I'm reading this, 
scripture here, and I'm thinking, okay, God, you know, if I disobey you as the children of Israel did, I will fall. And so that made it sound like to me that this was a pretty strong statement of entering, making every effort to enter this rest. And so uh, the author of Hebrews in these chapters, in chapter 4 here, he's also saying, he mentions Joshua, the next generation. And uh, in that generation, they conquered, and they went into the land, and they took a lot of territory, they, and they were victorious. It was like a pinnacle of the, of, of the children of Israel as far as their faith and being obedient and doing what God wanted them to do, and just amazing things happened. And to me, it was like God was speaking to me and saying, you know, you've conquered the land. You've come into the promised land of salvation, and you had experiences when you first got saved, and there's this incredible things. You conquered territory. You took over uh, the the bad habits, the addictions, and you tore down a lot of strongholds in your life, but then, you know, have you settled in? Because as the children of Israel come into the promised land, they conquered, but they didn't conquer at all. And then they settled down, and as they settled down, it seemed like a darkness come over them. They ended up very confused, and the scriptures say that their kids, the next generation, didn't know the Lord. It's like, what were they doing? You know, and it's like it was a challenge to my heart was that, you know, this is like the children of Israel disobeyed. They come in, they didn't, they didn't obey God and finish conquering the land. They stopped. They got settled in, they got comfortable. And then they tried to take more land, but there was resistance. And as the resistance was there, they decided, okay, that's too much trouble. We'll just settle down. We're comfortable the way we are instead of following God and doing what he's asking of them to do. And then, so they backed off and they settled in and they, darkness come over them. And if you read from there, it goes into the book of Judges. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. And it's a terrible time that Israel goes through. And uh, because they refuse to follow God. And so God was showing me that I had to be intentional about entering this rest of salvation. Getting into this place where I have peace of mind. And he was saying that this was not optional to me I was feeling very convicted. This is not optional. I can't ignore this. I have to get this rest in my soul and be in this place and rest. And I think it's our life. You know, we're on the path. We're walking the life. We're living the peace. But then stuff comes along in our life and it throws us off track a bit. But then, you know, as I recognize this, this is when, like, I need to stop. This got my attention. And I began to study these verses in context to see if what I was reading was really what it was saying. Because, you know, you take one verse and you try to, you take that just at face value. Sometimes that can really not be what it's saying at all. And so this seemed pretty strong. And it sounds like works. It sounds like, you know, I'm going to earn something, but that's not what it's saying. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God was showing me that he was not the center of my life. My problems were. And my work was. Everything that was going on in my life at the time was, you know, uh, as I was praying and working through all of this stuff, I began to think about everything that was going on and caring in my life and all the different pressure points. And, you know, it was amazing, but I could realize that, hey, if I didn't deal with this stuff, I could be a nervous wreck. If I just ignored it and just kept going and just let the stuff grow, I could be a nervous wreck. So some of the stuff that was going on in our lives, it's, it's interesting. My mother, had a, she had three strokes just a couple of years ago, and, then, uh, and her and dad are living on, on their own, and then so she's not able to cook and not really able to look after him. He's looking after her. 
And so, you know, they're not, they haven't been, they, at the time, they haven't been eating properly. And then Karen's dad died a year ago, and then her mom became uh, more dependent. She's living at our place, so we're taking care of her. And in a lot of senses, it, it's fairly independent, but she, you know, it's a responsibility we have to look after them. And uh, our kids were having things going on, like just life happening stuff going on in their lives. And as a parent, you're watching and you're thinking, ah, and you start to worry about your kids. What a dumb thing to do. Like, but we do, you know, and I think there was something wrong with us if we didn't care. That would be something. That's the other end of the spectrum. But care too much or not care enough. But I was caring too much. And so all of this stuff piling up, and there was a lot more going on. And some of that stuff was really very intense and very hard, and it took faith just to step through. So I began to pray to seek God on this, this winter in January here. And I was led to uh, a lot of verses, but this one here is a powerful verse, and we all know it. Do you know this is uh, Philippians Four verses six and seven. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. This is the most highlighted Bible, uh, hi- highlighted verse in the Bible. Amazon says, "Pretty good." They're they're watching us, eh? <clears throat> Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so I took this verse, like the word talks, and you've heard me say it, you know, meditate on the word day and night. And so as I'm taking this verse and I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm reading and thinking about this, okay, where's this anxiety come? Recognizing all the pressure points in my life. What can I control and what can I not control? What can I do something about and what can I just give to God and pray through and work through? And this verse telling me, don't worry about anything. Worry, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So like that sounds like, okay, yeah, okay, we can pray, but nothing seems to change. But then it says, tell God what you need. It's okay, tell him what you need. Lord, I need the peace that passes understanding. I need you to intervene in my life because of this anxiousness that seems to be coming on me. It says, tell God what you need. My kids need you. I see that they have needs. I see that my parents have needs. I see that Karen's mom has needs. I see that we have needs because of all of this. And thank him for all he's done. So, you know, that's a real secret there. And thank, tell him what you need. Okay, we've taken care of the stuff. We're not going to worry about it. I'm, okay, Lord, I'm not going to worry about it. Now, this is, I'm, you know, I'm coming to you in prayer, and I'm going to pray about everything, and this is what I need. My kids need you, Lord. I can see these areas where they need you, and, and Lord, my sons and my daughter and my uh, Karen needs you. I need you, and Karen's mom needs you. My parents need you, Lord God. And then it says, and thank him for all he's done. And so, okay, Lord, I've given those things to you, and I thank you, Father, by faith, not by sight. I, by faith, I thank you that you're taking care of all of those things that are on my heart. And now, Lord, I thank you that my parents are still able to live on their own. I thank you, Father God, that my kids love their spouses and their spouses love them. I thank you, Lord, that my grandkids are healthy. I thank you, Father God, that we have a place for Karen's mom. We can support her, we can encourage her, and we can visit with her. We can do whatever she needs. Lord, there's so much to be thankful for. And so all of a sudden, you can see my attention, uh, it uh, moves from the worry to thankfulness. And as I'm thanking the Lord, my, you know, it says then, as we're thanking God for all he's done, 
we'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. This peace will guard your hearts and minds. And it's amazing, you know, like as I went through this and I prayed about this and I meditated on this scripture and I started to put into practice what it was saying, you know, since about around the third week in January, the peace that passes understanding, I can't understand it, but I have total peace in my heart. I haven't had anxiety attacks since about that, second, third week in January. Uh, I've been set free because I've taken the word and I've meditated on the word and I've put the word into practice as best as I knew how and talking to others. And uh, it's true. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. So when you get to the place where you have, you're being thankful for what he's done, his peace will guard your heart and mind. And it's like that anxious anxiety can't penetrate the guard that God has put up for my mind and my heart. My heart is at peace and my mind is at peace. And I'm thankful for it. There's a Isaiah 26, 20, uh, 26, 3, and it says, you, you will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And I'm thankful for God's peace. Because as a young man, when I got saved, when I became a Christian... You know, I think, actually, I think I worried as a kid. Because when I got saved, it was like this peace come into my being that I had never, ever experienced in my life. It was like, wow, nothing mattered anymore. It's like God has everything under control. It's like all of a sudden life made sense. And it was so good. And so from the time, and it's been about 38 years or close to 40 years that I've been a Christian. And peace has always been my gauge in life. And so when this anxiety hit me this December, I stopped. And I do that when this kind of stuff happens. I stop and I pray. You know, I'll fast if I have to, whatever the deal is. But I stop and I seek, okay, what do I got to do? What's my part in this? And whatever I can't control, then I surrender it to the Lord. And then I start being thankful for all that God has done. And, uh, and so I live with peace in my life. So when it's not there, I know it. And I want it back because it's tough. I come across this great story about uh, Michael J. Fox. It says the Jewish actor, Michael J. Fox, who admits that he struggles, he struggled with the reality of Parkinson's disease. Fox said, coping with the relentless assault of this accumulating damage has not been easy. Nobody would ever choose to have this visited upon them. Yet Fox also calls the season since his diagnosis the best 10 years of my life, not in spite of my illness, but because of it. He goes on to explain that if you were to rush into the room right now to announce that you struck a deal in which the 10 years since my diagnosis could be magically taken away, traded in for 10 more years as a person I was before, I would without a doubt and no hesitation say, take a hike. He says, I would never want to go back to that life, a sheltered, narrow existence fueled by fear and made livably, uh, livable by isolation, uh, insulation, isolation, and self-indulgence. So when you're maybe gone off the path, maybe you've never been on the path, what do you do when you come to these struggles in your life? When I was young... As a young man, before I knew the Lord, when pressure came, even for a while after I knew the Lord, when the pressure would come, I would run. I'd run and I'd hide. I just, like the littlest bit of pressure was amazing. I didn't like it. 
and I wouldn't ever stick anything out. I couldn't get away fast enough. I would leave relationships with friends. I would uh, quit and go from job to job to job. I learned how to do a lot of different types of stuff because I was at so many different jobs, but it wasn't a way to live life. And as the pressure started, where's Mark? He's gone. You know, in the church here, we have mentorship, which is a great thing for this kind of thing. would have been great for a young guy like that, what I was, to come alongside me and to just coach me and encourage me that, okay, you know, this is life that happens. This is life. It's going to come no matter where you go. Pressure is a part of life, and we can't always run from it. We can deal with it. We can do the things that we need to do to correct things, but we can relax and rest in the peace that knowing God is in control. Like the loss of a loved one or the loss of career, any of those kinds of things that are pretty intense when they're unexpected can be just knock you right off the rails. But if you just have Christ at the center of your life, when those things happen, there is a peace that we can't explain. I was talking to somebody here this morning after the first service, and they were saying that they lost their child. And he says it was amazing. He couldn't explain it. He didn't understand it, but he had a peace through the whole thing. And I don't know if there'd be anything a whole lot more difficult than losing one of your children. But he said it was just, it was beyond his understanding, a peace that passes understanding. He lived through it. So the pressures that come to us in life are not always negative. And that's where we need to be praying through these times when they come. Remember at the beginning I quoted the verse... uh, Back to the beginning. So let us do our best to enter that rest is not the one I wanted. This one. (laughs) I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. And church, the world cannot give. And this peace is something that the world wants. And they go to great lengths to try to fill the void that only God can fill. And as we walk through our communities with this peace that passes understanding, regardless of the tough situations, they do see it. They feel it. They see it. They hear it. But Jesus has left us this gift of peace in mind. And I asked the question at the beginning, are you experiencing this gift in your life right now? What are the pressure points that are in your life that are maybe robbing you or trying to rob you of the peace that passes understanding? Because we all have them. We all go through the different seasons in life of pressure. Sometimes these these seasons of pressure seem to drag on and on and on. But when we go through these seasons, we can have that peace in our hearts that we just understand that God is in control. I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't make any sense to me. But God, I know that you have things in control. And there's a piece of knowing that, but it's more than just knowing it. There is an assurance that comes in our soul as we put Christ at the center of our heart and the center of our lives, removing the problems and putting Christ there. So there's so many things, you know, like what are some of the things that we can be pressured about? One pressure point, you know, some of you might be saying that uh, 
I have so many pressure points in my life right now, I wouldn't even know where to start to deal with these things. And as a church, you know, we can help somewhat, but we can help you get help as far as the pressure points in your life. And, and uh, we have ministries in the church where people will come alongside you if these pressure points are pressure points that loss of a loved one or, you know, change of career or loss of your job, all those kinds of things. There's just, you know, they're just endless of what they can be. We have people that can walk alongside you, discipleship just to help you get established in your faith and get your footing under you. To, who is God and who is Christ? You know, how does that work in my life? What does that look like if I'm walking with him? And how do I even do that? We've got ministries in the church that can help you with all that kind of stuff. Uh, you heard me mention Celebrate Recovery. It's uh, Herds, Habits, and Hangups. It's, all, it's a great program. There's so many pressure points. We don't know where we're going to start. You know, let us help you if we can. We will. And I know that we, if we can't help you, we can sure find somebody that can. You might say, my partner is driving me so crazy that you wouldn't even have peace if you were married to this person. <laughs> Sometimes that's tough. Sometimes relationships are tough. But you know what? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Like if we're, and we've got to die. That's the Christian life. It's to die. And whatever our circumstances are right now, you know, that's where the word comes in. What does God's word say? Am I going to come to the edge of the promised land of salvation and say, okay, Lord, I see what you're saying. I, I can come into the promised land. I can come into salvation. And I can see, Lord, that some of the stuff that I'm going to have to deal with. Am I going to deal with it? And am I going to respond in the way that he's telling me to respond? He's not doing it because he's an ogre and he wants to see you do things you don't want to do. You know, he's doing it. He has a way that it seems right. Like we have a way that seems right, but it leads to death. And he has a way that leads to life. And so, you know, if you're at the precipice of entering into the promised land, whether that's into salvation, maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and be Lord of your life. Maybe you've never experienced that peace before in your life. Today, you have the opportunity to do that. After the service, come down and talk to me. I would love to talk to you about that because it's possible to have peace in your life. And that's where we want to live. We want to live in that peace. Maybe you're at the precipice and right on the edge, you're a believer, but God is saying, okay, I want you to do this. And you're saying, I don't want to do that. And he's saying, I'll give you the grace to do that. But I don't know, Lord. You know, this little argue that goes on with us. His grace is sufficient, and you won't know until you do it, until you go through it, until you surrender your life, wholehearted, surrender it, and then you'll experience what his word is talking about over and over and over again. We don't know what God is doing with us, through us, what he wants to do. Maybe you just lost someone, a loved one. We've done a few funerals this past year, and that is very difficult. It is a, it's just like it's something that just doesn't seem right. Life, it just doesn't seem like that should happen, but it does happen. And it just really brings the reality of the word saying that we're not, this is not our home, we're just passing through. It really makes that clear. And uh, it really rattles us sometimes. But we have people to help you walk through that. And uh, that can knock us off stride. Maybe you've discovered that you have a debilitating disease or you've changed this, you know, or something's come into your life that's going to totally change the way you live. That can be very disconcerting. Maybe you, uh, the pressure's on as a young person in school. You know, like, you know what God wants you to do, but, boy, it's a tug of war. I remember being young, and wow, to try to choose to do the right thing is not an easy thing to do. 
But you choose to do the right thing, you'll never regret it. And these people, your friends need you to be choosing the right thing because they need an excuse to choose the right thing. They're, they would love to have somebody to follow doing the right things. They may react and turn their back on you, but every, pretty much every one of them are really looking and they're really watching. And one day when the pressure's on in their life, when they're down and out and desperate, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to come to you. And I think that goes for all of us. As we stay steady and stable and just solid and in the word, whether we're mocked or not, comes around, they will come to you. In construction for 20 years as a Christian, eventually they all came to me over 20 years about life and problems and things that they were going through when the crunch hit. Maybe you're, one thing is, you know, like our senior citizens, you're in your home where you've been all your life, and I've talked to some of our seniors, they've been moved out of their home by their kids and into a lodge. That's a very difficult thing that can happen too, but, you know, God is in control of our lives, and we're, you know, we've got to just live with that peace in our heart, regardless of the circumstances that are going around us. Well, I'm just going to have a stand. We're going to, this is, we're going to close here. I know it's early and that's great. That just gives us time to just pray and to think, okay, Lord, where am I at in this picture? Am I a Christian? You're not a Christian. You've come into here today and you're hearing this message. It's not an accident. God is in control of this whole universe. No matter what we think, he's in control. And he's brought you here today. And you might be that one that has never experienced that peace that passes understanding. You're standing at the promised land and God is saying, go in and take the land that I've promised you. It's full with milk and honey, with the peace that passes understanding, with wisdom that can help you to straighten out the things in your life that are causing so much pressure. He'll guide us in there. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, as I was saying, I want you to come down and talk to me afterwards. Maybe you're the church. Remember in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a sovereign move in the central Alberta. I think it was happening a lot of places, but central Alberta, when I became a Christian, it was like we come into the promised land and we were taking territory. We were, and it was miraculous, the things that were being prophesied over Karen and I, the things that God was saying to us that nobody knew. These strangers would come in and prophesy over us, things that were in our heart that only we knew, and, uh, and then talk to us about what's coming and it all has come to pass powerful stuff and so we were dealing with strongholds in our lives things that weren't right and we were dealing with things and we were getting our lives right and where things would come up we would deal with them and we we wanted to walk the walk we wanted to live this life that God the creator was talking to us about he seemed so real and so wanting to be so involved in our lives And so we said, yes, but then that's like 38 years ago. So what happens? You come into the promised land, you take all of this territory, and then it's like you you come into it, and it just slowly starts to stop taking over the land. So then we get to a place where we settle. And are we settling down where we're walking, and we're, we're saying, okay, Lord, you are good. You've been so good to me. And then as we settle in the land, compromise starts to happen in our lives. These things that we at one time, when I first became a Christian, I cut the cord on the TV, I shut the radio off, and 
I quit drinking and all this stuff. And then, you know, as you're walking, you're walking, things slow down. Oh, here comes the TV. Comes by a TV, put it in the house, turn the radio on. You know, we start to bring these things back into our lives. You know, and it can slowly put a cloud over our lives. And we don't remember where we come from. And, but yet we say we're Christians, but yet we've, we're compromising in our lives. And we can't be like that because the children of Israel went from that state to destruction. It's incredible when you read the book of Judges, what a terrible state they were in. And we don't want to be there. It's a picture. Where are you at this morning with it all? The scripture that, that Hebrews is telling us, let us do our best. Let us make every effort. Let us do whatever it takes. Three different translations. Whatever it takes to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. It is a potential. We, you know, if we feel like I'll never fall, that's pride. And I tell you, you know, like this, pride comes before the fall. Today I would like us all to bow our heads and just pray and just say, Lord, where am I at in this picture? Am I one that's at the edge of the promised land and I've never experienced your peace? Am I one that's never come into making you Lord of my life and even the start to get there? Am I one that's been a Christian all my life and I've allowed compromises to come into my life? Stuff that I thought was so not right when I first gave my life to you that maybe wasn't right and maybe in our zeal we were a little bit out of balance. But give us wisdom. I pray for everybody here, Lord, that you would just pry into the hearts, the souls, and stir them, Lord God. I pray for the conviction of your Holy Spirit to come down on this place and to help us to hear what your Spirit is saying, Lord God, and put us into the place of the rest, the peace, Lord God, that passes understanding, the salvation, Lord, of our souls that that the enemy has no right to. We surrender our lives to you, We commit ourselves to you and we pray, Lord, your will be done in our lives and help our kids, Father God. I pray, Lord, that our kids are not a generation that don't know the Lord, but that they will know you, Lord, that you will draw them, Father God. We claim them. We tear down the strongholds, Father God, of our kids and around our kids. We release your spirit to minister to them. Give us wisdom as parents on how to live this life before them, that they're convicted and that they want you, Father God. I just bless your people, Father God. I just pray that you would help us to be the people that you've called us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you this morning to think, okay, I'm drawing the line in the sand this morning. I'm committing myself to you, Lord. And I'm going to thank you, Father God, for all that you've done because he's done so much for each one of us. No matter where we're at, no matter the struggles we've got going in our lives. Amen. He's not got ill will for us. He's only got good for us. It might not look like what we want it to look like or expect it to look like, but throw all that out the window and say, Lord, your will be done. As Jesus is sweating the drops of blood, he says, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't want to go to the cross. We might not want to do what God has got in front of us. Jesus' name, submit to his will and die to yourself and live the life that he's got for you. It will only be good. In Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you. You're dismissed.